So our colleague Dan sent in an amazing article to the Teach 4X mailbag, and it's called What Mrs. Bailey Taught Me in AP US History Changed My Life. And I highly recommend you guys read it if, if you haven't seen this already, if it hasn't sort of tumbled across your social feeds. But it's this great, really lovely article about this student really thriving in this AP class with this teacher, Mrs. Bailey, and the sense of community and just really positive relationship the student developed with not only this teacher, but other teachers at their school. And it's sort of framed in context of, I don't know what to call it, like the war on teaching, whatever weirdness is going on with teaching today, where there's so much discourse about what is appropriate or what is not appropriate in the a, a classroom and, and how teachers teach. And it was really nice to see this article of this columnist just fondly recounting these really amazing, beautiful, lovely experiences they had with their teacher and, and how this teacher you know, help them grow. And I was thinking it would be cool if we could think sort of in the spirit of of this Mrs. Bailey, what teachers we had that that changed our lives. And I, I'd love to hear from you guys. I don't know, Jess, is there a teacher that that growing up was really formative to you that that made you who you are today in terms of, I don't know, either a person or an educator? Yeah, like I actually became an educator because of my high school history teacher. His name was Mr. Montez. So Mr. Montez, if you ever stumble across this, I did not follow your advice and I ended up in the district you told me not to go to. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he was so, he was an interesting character, I feel like. And he was really all about like project-based learning and all of this stuff before I knew what any of that stuff was or like before it became like a big trend and he was like so about hands-on learning like project-based learning and I remember thinking like man we're not actually learning anything but then I kind of like now from my teacher lens I'm like dude like he had some really cool stuff like he really taught us critical thinking really taught us how to justify our opinions like he did some really cool things and I didn't appreciate it when I was younger but what I did appreciate a lot when I I was younger was just how kind of open he was to just allowing us to be ourselves like he kind of just made me feel like comfortable in being me right I am very much extroverted I have been extroverted loud boisterous extravagant all of those things since I was younger since I was in high school and so he kind of like allowed my personality to blossom in class like he really just accommodated that and he was just so open to talking about like life and like just talking about like different things about who he was as a person, especially being a Mexican-American like educator in the current climate, you know? So he was so, just so open to those things. I remember spending like my lunch periods in his classroom, you know, I would go grab my lunch, go eat in his class, like just go hang out in the office with him and stuff like that. We played this cool board game that he introduced me to as well, but I kind of forgot what it was about, but he was great. He was just such a nice, awesome man. He actually had my older brother first and he assumed I was going to be like my older brother. And uh, I wonder if my brother will ever listen to this, but me and my brother are very much opposites. So he in high school was very much, I hate school. I'm going to drop out. Like, I don't want to do all this very much like anti-school, anti-education. And then here, his younger sister being like the AP straight A student future teacher type thing. So he was pleasantly surprised to see how different we were. So he definitely had such a big impact. I think more so just by allowing me to be me. Do you find you ever teach like Mr. Montez? Yeah, actually he would, 
not to call myself out, but he was very much into the old school Mexican mom tactics as well, which was funny. He would be like, I'm going to throw this marker at you. And now I find myself doing it to the kids, you know, be like, look, like I'm going to throw this at you too. And the kids love it. And I used to love it when I was um, in high school too, because I could relate, right? A lot of my classmates were not Mexican American. A lot of them came from other different cultural backgrounds. So just having that kind of semblance of like culture in the classroom, I was like, dang, this this dude's cool. And now I find myself being like him, which actually I might email him. I actually might reach out to him. Yeah. Time to email him. What about you, Fire? Do you have a teacher that sort of changed your life and either put you on the path to being an educator or made you who you are today? I don't know about a teacher in particular. I just feel like the whole experience was like all of my teachers in some way were very encouraging and very positive, which, which was always great. So I always felt encouraged. So I always try to be encouraging to try and build some sense of efficacy and ability within the kids and give them a little confidence, even if it's a little over their head kind of, right? Like, like kind of giving them the opportunity because I always felt like I had the opportunities, you know, when I was in school. So, you know, just kind of giving that ability to, to, you know, let the kids put forth their best effort and then building that up and coaching that up and out of them is what I try to do. So, but I don't know, specific relation. I don't know. Like I feel there's so many teachers that I didn't like, you know, but like, you're not supposed to like your teacher, right? (laughs) Which is fine. I don't know. So, but I always felt like they were very encouraging and accommodating where I would be you know, a butthead and they would just kind of be like, what, you know, could you remove your head from your, from your ass? And then <laughs> I would, I would be like, okay. So, you know, and doing it without like putting me on blast or anything like that. So I feel like that's very important. And that's something that I tried to do. Well, I, if I'm remembering right, Scott, little fire eyes in was not super into school, right? You've sort of alluded to that in previous conversations. Yeah. I mean, it was like school was, <sighs> It was just happening, you know, and I felt like I did fine in school, but it wasn't, I definitely, I definitely should have been doing better. Right. (laughs) So, but you're, you know, still that being acceptable or being okay. Like I looking back, of course I should have done better, but what, you know, what were my teachers supposed to do other than what they were doing? It wasn't them. It wasn't them who was, you know, acting a fool or not staying focused or whatever. It was me. Yeah. I I have two teachers and and I I have them really both on here for the same reason. In middle school, I had like an advanced language arts teacher, Mrs. Swan. And in high school, my Latin teacher, Mrs. Reif. And both of them had a unique situation where they taught many of the same students multiple years. So I had Mrs. Swan for two years. I had Mrs. Rife for all four years of high school in, in Latin class. And I, I have these two because well, they were great teachers and the activities and the lessons and things that we did were great. But the sense of community and connectedness they had to their students is what really got me through middle school in Mrs. Swan's case and high school in Mrs. Rife's case. You know, both of these teachers created this lovely home base where year after year, it was kind of like cheers. You know, you were with the same group of students, the same teacher, and they were... and. I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but sort of constants as many other things in your life are changing and just creating such a positive environment and, and feeling close to these individuals and, and having, I don't know, just a resource, a, a kind adult that, that 
you really developed a sense of trust in and got to see every year, would welcome you into the, their room if you needed to hide during lunch or, or visit during homeroom, kind of like Jess visiting uh, your teacher, you know, just having having that home base and, and having that amazing, kind, incredible educator, a, adult to, to provide that for you was really great. And, you know, I can't think of specific examples necessarily how I, I mirror their teaching, but I certainly strive to create the same sense of community and same connectedness with my students as they did for, for me and my classmates. So I, I really appreciate them. If you're out there, Mrs. Swan, if you're out there, Mrs. Rife, thank you. All right, well, good morning, everybody, and happy October. Happy fall. This is the first fall podcast episode edition here. The Teach4X network is off and running. The 22-23 school year with you as always. Jessica Warache, Eric Johnson, myself, Scott Feierreisen. We are the Teach4X network, the on-demand educator development service focused on the four pillars of education, technology, curriculum, community, and leadership. Today we are talking about, what are we talking about? Well, Jess had an interesting conversation with some kids. Yeah, it's sort of like a case study that we could dive into, you know? So our case study for today, it actually happened this last Friday. So that's why I feel like it's so recent in my brain. I'm even wearing my little seal of biliteracy shirt. So once again, I am a bilingual teacher. So I teach students who are learning English as a second language, but I do have one specific class that's done in complete Spanish. And I actually had two kids transfer out of that class because they their English proficiency was good enough to go to the English classes. And I'm like, cool, you know? So in my mind, I hadn't actually really talked to these two kids much until Friday when we had some downtime. And I, you know, struck up a conversation with these two kids. It was really funny. One of the kids is like, teacher, what's wrong? What is, what is your day like? today and then he didn't have his glasses on and he goes talk to me and he puts his glasses on and he goes I'm actually a psychologist and I'm like all right let's tone it down here so I started talking to him about just like um, his experience from switching from my ninth period which is an all Spanish-speaking class to my eighth period which is now like a bilingual mostly English with very limited Spanish support class and he started talking to me about his experience his life experience overall and he said that he actually lived in Mexico his entire life and he only recently got to the United States about maybe 11 months ago and I was kind of blown away because I was like, man, you speak English pretty well. Like, you know, for only being here 11 months and now learning the language, now you are in an academic class that is fully English speaking. And his friend was the same. He's like, yeah, I've only been here for a year and a half, Miss H. And I was like, what? You know? So my favorite part was when I asked them, I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you this. What is school like in Mexico versus what school is like in the United States? And what he told me was kind of shocking to me. He told me that in Mexico, it felt so much like a bigger community in one classroom. And I asked him to expand on that. And he's like, well, take our ninth period because he was in my ninth period, which is a very loud, boisterous social class where everyone knows each other and everyone gets along. And he goes, well, ninth period, everybody's always talking to each other. The whole class is just always on this level 10 because they know each other. Every single person in that room has developed the relationship with each other. That's why people can freely move around the classroom and still have people to talk to. And I was like, 
interesting so then how does that compare to school in your English classes you know like in the more Americanized and he's like it's so different because it doesn't feel like that it doesn't feel like this large overall community sometimes it feels like smaller cliques within the classroom where people find their little comfort people or their little comfort group and they just stick to them and only talk to them as opposed to in Mexico he feels like that was the norm the ninth period class that I have where kids are always all over the place talking yelling laughing having fun he feels that Mexico has that community-like structure as opposed to what we see in our American classrooms. And I was like, dang, that makes a lot of sense. I can kind of see it, right? My prime examples with between my two classes. And it kind of got me thinking about how do I transform my classes into more of that bigger community-based? Like, yes, it is a pain to have to classroom manage those big conversations, those big personalities, that whole, you know, comfort level in the classroom. But at the same time, it like provides such a richer and more energetic experience in teaching. Like kids are just so, they provide so much more when they are helping each other out. And like, I see it a lot more in my ninth period where kids are very much more open to being like, Hey, can you help me with this? Like, Hey, can you like talk to me about this question? Like, let's learn from each other as opposed to my other classes where kids are very much scared to talk to people who are not in their little clique. So I guess my question is how do we up that community? Like, how do we shift that kind of culture in the classroom? It's interesting, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking, and you sort of touched on this, Jess, this idea that A, your ninth period can be a pain to classroom manage, but B, there's also a lot of value in that community. And I think of two examples. Very recently, I was talking with our dear colleague, Travis, and he mentioned something how, you know, oftentimes a good classroom, and I I think this is something he said to me, maybe I, I dreamed it. But a good good teaching in a good classroom can sometimes look a little messier and noisier than than we assume, right? And I remember even when I was a young teacher to be and visiting all sorts of schools all over our city, there were some classrooms that in my I don't know, in my not yet a teacher mind, I felt like, oh, this is too noisy. There's too much stuff happening. There's too much chaos. But then as I sat through and spent time observing in those classes, I realized, damn, actually, these kids are learning a lot. And and there's one guy in particular, and I cannot remember his name. He taught uh, seventh or eighth grade social studies. And at first glance, the, the class was quite chaotic and, and kids are talking and moving around. But then when I was sitting there with my little notepad taking notes, I realized like everyone was really engaged. And and so I, I find what you're sharing with us today is super meaningful. And I think something, especially as we're sort of trudging through this whole pandemic situation and trying to get kids to open up more after a bunch of time in remote, how valuable it is to to build that community. And I know FIRE has done some really cool stuff involving service. And, and I was actually hearing about this from, from the coordinator, the service coordinator, I don't know what you'd call her exactly, that worked with you on that project. And she was really talking it up and talking about how amazing the way that you were sort of getting the kids engaged fire. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, how the, how the kids were building community doing that? Yeah, that was an interesting project because that was one of those things where like necessities, the mother of invention. So I like needed stuff to do because I was running out of things to do. So <laughs> in a civics class, it's like, okay, well, when nobody wants to do notes, you know, let's do a thing. How about we just do a thing? So uh, we started like, like a supply drive and all that stuff. So then like doing all sorts of legwork, getting students to share what they want to do. So that was kind of the first thing. 
How did you do that fire, by the way? Because I, I don't want to derail you here, but how did you get the, because I'm about to embark on a similar journey to, to what you're going to talk about in a little bit with this service project. How did you get the kids to, to share their voice, to have student voice, to talk about what they wanted to do for the project? Basically, I just started with like a, a question, like what do we see in our community that we would like to address and everybody to share something and then start to categorize that. So then, okay, I'm seeing a lot of stuff around homelessness. I'm seeing a lot of stuff around awareness of domestic violence. I'm seeing a lot of, so kind of see the categories that people are thinking about and then steer them towards, you know, something that everybody's okay doing. So that was kind of what we did. So this was at the beginning of right when the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the, right when the war came up. So, you know, that was something that people were talking about. People, you know, I want to stop, you know, violence in my neighborhood. We should do something about homelessness, you know, getting all, everybody to share that stuff. And then as the teacher, you kind of okay, you know, what are we really going to do to stop gun violence? I don't know if we could do all that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to do a lot to, you know, stop the war in Ukraine, right? So how about this? You know, so you're kind of steering everybody towards, well, this would be really something that we could all do. Why don't we do a supply drive? So then, you know, you're kind of getting it all out of them and then creating something or putting, taking it in a direction that it seems like everybody's okay. And then usually at that point, that takes a long time. You give everybody a like an excruciating amount of time to, you know, just to, to say what they would want to do. And then, you know, kind of, okay, here's what we're doing. And then by that time, they'll just happy that you picked a direction and that we're, that is something different. So that was an important thing. And then just creating like different roles and different teams. So then, you know, that's a whole class thing. All right. So the whole class is doing this thing. And then we had specific teams. So then we had like an advertising team and a marketing team. Then we had like, a, okay, let's research supplies that people who are, you know, homeless, you know, supplies that they might need. This group here, you research the different policies regarding, you know, fundraising here at the school. So then you're kind of giving, and then you're breaking things down. So then you had this big one single project. But now you have three teams working on these different things. And then you could kind of check in with them. And then maybe you get an individual student to do a thing or, you know, oh, you might be better over here with this kid. So kind of creating a situation where people can mingle and, and work and produce something that's real and tangible. And it's not just like learning the class content. So that was kind of the, how things worked. I wouldn't say that it was that strategic. It was just what we did. But I felt like that was helpful because this was a first period class as well. So this is 730 in the morning. You know, Miss H's class is bouncing off the walls ninth period. That's great community. You know, that that's one form of community, but that can't always happen all the time, every single class, right? So no. this was another way like, okay, how do we get everybody involved without it being like actually everybody chatting away all the time so it was a good way to have like okay these are the tasks that we're all working on i could just kind of mingle and and circle around you know let's make sure that this is done by friday things like that and then it was easier on the classroom management side as opposed to miss h's ninth period so i would say you know that's the important thing is that you've got to know your class i think we say that a lot know your students know you know it wouldn't make any sense if my expectations for that first period was that it would just would like jessica's ninth period 
right? Like that's just not going to happen. And then at the same at the same time, Jess can't expect her ninth period to be like my first period where it was, you know, where everybody's half asleep and I'm, I'm not even sure if they're awake. You got to be willing to be fluid and to, you know, be okay with those different class types. And it's a shame that, yeah, and I, I can't imagine trying to do this first period. That seems immensely challenging. I, I was wondering, do you feel like those teams built community, you know, as we talk about you know, just as an example of school in Mexico versus school in America and this greater sense of community and how we build community in the class. We've talked before about like, how can we do more practical projects, more real world projects in our classroom that are authentic? Do you, did you find like that authentic experience, particular that team portion, did that build any additional community in your class? Did the kids thrive in those teams? I think it, it built good like school community. I, I don't the class community. I felt like it at least got kids who knew each other working together on something. I don't know if it got like students who never knew each other to be best friends and not like you know I wouldn't go that far. Or if you know five years later they're talking about how much fun it was collecting the supplies or something like that. But it was uh, I thought it was a good way to get everybody involved moving about the building. And it, it, it was kind of fun. And it was easy for me, because at 730, I didn't want to be putting on a show. Yeah, but, you know, it's a very easy to kind of just set things in motion and just check in on everything. That's cool. Well, and it's interesting. So far, you know, you're talking there about the sort of practical side of community building, getting the kids to you know, work on a project together, develop a sense of stake and ownership. And and through that, you know, building class community and, and, and improving sort of their connection to each other, to the project, to the school. And I, I've got like a really touchy-feely example, sort of the, not, I don't know, not the opposite, but I, I got a touchy-feely example for how I, you know, try to, to build community in, in my class. And I, I've got like a one-on-one thing and a group thing. And I'll talk about the group thing first, a practice that I learned about from an organization in Chicago called Emoja. And now I, I think they go by New Roots are these student-led talking circles. And, and I've briefly, I think, alluded to these on the podcast before, but these really helped me in terms of building classroom community over the past few years, I piloted the student-led talking circles with Emoja at the time. And they're simply talking circles, but instead of doing it as a full class, the kids do it in small groups and they lead the conversation and, and they're passing the talking piece between each other in like a small group of five kids instead of one big talking circle where I'm asking all the questions and then we're going through 30 kids. And I found doing those little circles was a, a really great way of, of building classroom community and I think getting kids more comfortable and getting closer to that community feeling that Jess has in her ninth period. And I, I think that's one component, right? Finding how the students can connect with other students. But then I think the other component is, is building the trust in the teacher, right? And I, I think if you're working on those two things, right, getting students to trust each other and, and communicate with each other through things like circles or norm setting or projects like you did fire, and then additionally, finding ways for the kids to build trust and connect with you. And something that I've been doing the last few years that I found immensely valuable is every quarter or so I take time to do one-on-ones with the students and I pull kids out. I talk to them one-on-one in a conference form, not even about grades necessarily. And I, I did this for the first time this 
year last week in most of my classes. I still have a few more classes to hit, but I set up the kids on like a simple reflection on how they're doing and how the year is going and while they're working. I pull kids one by one in the hallway and I have like a four question, like mini script. It's not written down. It's just in my mind. I ask them how things are going outside of school, how things are going inside the school and what are they doing for fun? And then chat with the kids and, and see where the conversation goes from there. And each one is, you know, two to three minutes. It, it takes about two class periods. But following that, I did one of our social emotional surveys that we distribute that we all do in our department. And kids were blown away by the fact that they had a, like non-evaluative, non-confrontational one-on-one conversations with their teacher in that format. And I always had positive experiences with it. And I thought it was a good thing, but my God, kids really, really, really appreciated and responded to it. And it's, it's a really easy thing. And I hope by doing things like that, that also, you know, builds the trust in me. So kids are comfortable being more open in the classroom. Yeah, that's awesome. The one-on-one thing is really so important. And do you feel, how how do you structure things organizationally? What do you have other kids doing as you do that? You know, so it depends on the classes. I've certainly done it before where I just let them do whatever, you know, it's, it's a catch up day. If you've got kids that can handle that, that's no big deal. I alternatively often will have them do like either a protocol to say, review their grades online or assignment to reflect on how they're doing personally, some sort of like SEL reflection or journaling type thing that can keep the kids occupied while I pull kids out. You know, I'm really fortunate this year. I have incredible classes that me sitting right outside the classroom, I know they're not going to set themselves on fire. I have had other classes where the one-on-ones had to happen very quietly in a corner inside the classroom because I, I couldn't step out. I did it once and I, I walked back in and the students had, this was insane. This was my ninth period last year. I stepped back in the class and they had set all the desks on the ground. They had like turned them upside down and they had just set them desk first on the ground. Like it was like an elephant graveyard of desks and no one was like running around. No one was hurt. I don't know. I just walked in and they all looked up. Like they looked at me like when you find your dog in the trash can, right? Just big doe eyes. And then all the desks just upside down on the floor. <laughs> like what, what is going on in here? So for them, I had the conference with the kids inside the class, but the rest of them, in most cases, kids are happy for the makeup day or happy for the time to do reflection. And, you know, then they're shocked that I'm not yelling at them. I pull them out and they're like nervous. And especially this year, most kids, I would finish, you know, how's things outside school? How's things inside school? What are you doing for fun? And then we finish a conversation and I say, is that it? And they like have this like look of fear. And I'm like, yeah, what else? What else would there be? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, do you think I was going to yell at you? And they're like, yeah. And I like, I told you what I was going to say. I told you the four questions I'm going to ask. Some of the kids, I've done this before because I've had them in previous years and they still are operating on this assumption that they're in trouble. And I'm like, no, man, we're, we're just talking. And it was cool. And you learn so much about the kids, especially from the students that speak don't speak up regularly in class or often. And I mean, this is the more challenging aspect. Many times you find you pull a kid out and the second they sit down in the chair outside the classroom, the waterworks start. And there's been something that has been on their mind or in their life that they've just been like, it's, it's like a dam that's leaking and bursting at the seams and they're just waiting for one person to ask or check in. And I've, I've done a lot of meaningful interventions because of that as well. It's, it's like all around amazing and it takes zero minutes to plan and prepare for, but it pays out in terms of community building and trust building exponentially. And, and kids are writing on these surveys. None of my teachers have ever checked in on me before, which is sad, but I guess true. I don't know. And, and, and it's just so easy and fun and amazing. It's, it's fun. I mean, it, it encapsulates what we love about teaching. 
you know, you get yeah. to talk to the kids. No, yeah, I completely agree, dude. I think I've been doing it, which I should be better about it. Like I do, I feel like every time we come on the podcast, I start reflecting on my own practice. And I'm like, you know what? I should probably do more of these things that I like, obviously the intention is there and I do do it, but I don't do it as frequently as I want to, right? So I think I should do those one-on-one check-ins more, not just academically, because I know we talked about academic abilities, like checking in with students academically about like maybe a project or what we're working on in class. But yeah, no, I actually think that they're also such a great like classroom management tool like one-on-one just check-ins like I remember I mentioned my fantastic four in my ninth period all right so on Thursday Thursday was a bad day like Thursday was just a bad ninth period like I was just so upset I just was like we're not doing anything today we have to have a silent class because I cannot do this right and I never have to pull out the silent classes but we did it we we just stood there and I asked them at the end of class and I'm like well who liked that and a lot of them were like no I didn't like that you know and because I didn't really talk to them either. Like they really were yearning for me to talk to them and to help them. And they're like, I'm like, well, who wants Miss H's help? I'm like, raise your hand. And they all raise their hand. I'm like, who wants Miss H to talk to you? Raise your hand, right? So I did that whole thing. But I targeted my little fantastic four because they were, you know, kind of bigger culprits in the Thursday shabacle. So I just pulled all my fantastic four individually out and I just checked in with them. And I was in the most calmest tone was like, how are you? How are you doing? How did class go today? And he's like, well, I didn't like not talking. But I'm like, but you did your work today, didn't you? And he's like, yeah. And so I'm like, let me see your paper. And he was so like, this one particular student, which I call him the little leader of the Fantastic Four. He was so hesitant to give me his paper. And I was like, just let me see it. You know, like, just let me see it. And he's finally like, after fighting with him for it, like, you know, just still be nice, but like, give me the paper kid. And so he gave it to me and he did a really great job. And this is the kid who doesn't really like turning in anything. And I looked at him. I'm like, this is great. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is literally like, you got every single question on this front part. Right. And you didn't even have to talk to anyone. You did this all on your own. This just shows me how smart you really are. You are very, very smart. And he looks at me and he's like getting all shy and nervous. I'm like, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm like, are you, uh, I told him in Spanish, I'm like, the chivias, like, do you get embarrassed? And he's like, no, no, I just, I don't know. And I'm like, but you're very smart. Look. And he, I'm like holding his paper, like, this is proof that you are smart, kid. And he's looking at me like, I don't, I don't think anyone's really told me I was smart before. And this is where I'm like, man, this kid just like pulling at the heartstrings. I'm like, yeah, but you are. Even though people haven't told you you are, you are. Like, look what you did by yourself today. Like, this is a hard text and you understood it without me explaining anything. And I was like, this is what I want to see from you every day because I know you can do it. And I was just being very, very nice to him and just telling him and giving him that encouragement. And then I did the same thing for all the other Fantastic Four. I did these same exact thing and Friday was like a 180 like literally I had never had such a productive efficient class that Friday for my ninth period because they were all engaged and ready to listen and they actually started asking questions because we were talking about government and one of them was like well because Thomas Hobbes thinks that all humankind is naturally evil blah 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 wouldn't that take away power from the monarchy because even though they're human I'm like well that's a great question let's talk about it and I was like dang like this is great so even those one-on-one check-ins with the kids like for classroom management complete 180 even that 
leader of the Fantastic Four, homeboy got to the class, sat in his desk on time for the first time all year and did his bell ringer. That's awesome. And I literally was just shook. I was like, oh my God, you know? And so it just really solidified how much those one-on-one check-ins really do work, dude. Like it's crazy. So I think that can we say like the, the Teach 4X uh, strategy for, for increasing and building on classroom community is sort of the wombo combo of A, building that positive relationship between student and teacher, especially making room for, for one-on-one interactions like that. And then B, finding different, meaningful and authentic ways to have the kids interact to build community in the classroom, whether that's working on something like a service project where kids have an opportunity to, to take ownership or doing things like circles where they have an opportunity to speak with each other in groups, just basically group trust building and interpersonal trust building. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think a common theme throughout all of that is one, it's not as much planning as you think, right? Like that's the good thing about it. Two, the return on investment then is huge because you don't really have to plan anything and it's going to pay off so big, so much going forward. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's the teach 4X high leverage strategy. How about that? Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds really good. Put that in your evaluation framework. How about that? I will say that this, this conversation has definitely made me kind of reflect on my ninth period. Cause I do, I do leave that class like frustrated and exhausted some days, you know, but I could have my, like my fourth period, which no one wants to talk to each other. When I student taught, my cooperating teacher was uh, a complete and utter dud. I know we try to be really nice and professional on the podcast, but I'm not afraid to call this man out. Was not helpful for me, but there was another teacher in the building who I sought advice. He was a religion teacher and he was incredible. And I went to him for all the questions. I had. He was sort of my mentor at the time. And he told me once, because I was really struggling with one of the classes in classroom management, one of the classes, and he said, the most challenging classes you have are the ones that you're going to teach you the most, right? Those are the classes that you're going to grow from the most as a teacher. And I think sometimes, I, I don't know, Jess, that's really helpful for me to think about. And I hope for all of us to think about this idea that sometimes when you're tearing your hair out, there's actually, you know, we get lost in the act of tearing our hair out, but there might be really amazing things about that class that sometimes get lost in the shuffle of, of trying not to have a meltdown on a Thursday afternoon. Thursday was not my day. I could tell. I walked by. I saw the door like half open and heard the very serious Miss Wirache. I got scared. I was walking <laughs> past and heard conversation. I got nervous. Like I was like, I got to go. I just looked at my shoes and ran because I didn't want to get yelled at. I thought I was next. I, it's a, it's even more frightening because it's in Spanish. So it's yes. like people who walk by, they're like, something is happening and I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. bad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I felt a, a deep and pr- I don't know what it is. It, it is just the Mexican mother thing. I, even I, as a white man felt a deep and primal fear. <laughs> good, good. That's my, uh, that's my best teaching tactic. You know, you either got it or you don't the Mexican mother. Right. That's also a high leverage strategy. Also a <laughs> high return on investment with right. those Mexican Also a big strategy. time return on investment there. Yep. You want to get us out of here, Jess? So thanks again, everyone, for listening. Please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch or ask us a question, you can do so via Spotify, or you can reach us at our email at teach4xcontact at gmail.com. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you. Hopefully uh, you've got a great uh, fall afternoon lined up and a great October. We'll check in soon. Have a great one.
Hey, and now you guys can go to teach4x.com to get to the podcast. So if you're trying to find us, hit us up. You can get online, get to access to the Teach4x podcast anywhere, anytime, teach4x.com. That's the number four.